Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is podcast number 11, interview with Bernie Dorman, sponsored by WordSprint. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. This is Hugh Ballou, and my guest for this session is my longtime friend, mentor, and colleague, Bernie Dorman. Bernie Dorman's sitting in Tampa, Florida, and uh, it's just a great day in Tampa. Bernie has a legacy with CEO Space, and over the last 10 years, it's impacted my life massively. And I'd like to, to interview Bernie today and let him share with you the, the visionary leaders that have impacted his life, those legendary leaders from the past, and then the, the legacy that Bernie's leaving uh, that's going to impact the world. He, he impacts world cultures, business leaders, nonprofit leaders. And Bernie, you've impacted me massively, so welcome to this interview today. Well, thank you so much, Hugh, and I'm so proud of you and what you're doing in your legacy to the world. So watching you do it is amazing with universities. Uh, institutions, churches, and major fortune companies, they're lucky to get uh, transformational leadership when you bring it on board. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've earned my chops. I've certainly made all the mistakes in over 40 years of working in the church and with massive amount of power with leaders from, from companies as well as clergy. I've learned, I've learned what works and what doesn't work. You grew up um, experiencing some legendary leaders that left legacies. Um, and you've shared some of that with me over the years. Mention a few of those. You grew up as a child. Your dad was a coach. So set the stage for what your dad did and some of the people he brought into your house that's impacted your life. And then, then let's talk about the legacy for CEO Space. Well, dad really got his training on human potential development in the Navy during World War II and leadership training there. <clears throat> Retired out as a commander and got involved with Dr. Edward Deming in training after the war the major companies of the world. Where Deming put together the model with Japan and rebuilding Japan, Dad collaborated with him. Then on his own, Dad did Korea. Just like Deming was working in Japan, Dad was doing, after the Korean War, Samsung and those companies on higher forms of organizing us into better performance, getting better performance. And he did that all his life. But he also founded the human potential industry. Hmm. And he began that in the 1940s and started working during the early years with Michael Murphy at Esalen, which was a pioneer, Clement Stone, a positive mental attitude, and 
wrote a lot of the material for that, <clears throat> and then moved uh, into uh, the nature of his leading it. Uh, he brought and became the course developer for a program called Mind Dynamics, which at that time, back in the 60s, doing a hundred million a year, that was like a billion back then, oh, wow. in human potential classes that was open to the public, and who uh, everybody came uh, to that uh, product. So the thought leaders that were alive at the time, uh, I had grown up with him leading major corporations, and John Gallagher, who was president of PepsiCo, Walt Disney, uh, Disney just beginning to open and become a dream come true. <clears throat> and he, he coached him before the park opened and after and did a lot of work for Disney, actually. And uh, he worked with Martin Luther King and uh, Jack Kennedy, uh, pitched my first baseball game when he was a senator and beginning to run. He sought out my father's counsel about running. And they were, uh, he coached him all his, his, his part. Uh, and, but Earl Nightingale, uh, Zig Ziglar got his first job at my dad's firm when he was 22 and oh started speaking there. Oh Earl Nightingale, Ogmandino, uh, the greats of the past. You know, In my work, uh, carrying on his business, I have uh, trained the largest companies in the world from AT&T to Zellerback, and I've trained all over the world for the largest corporations, and I've uh, done human potential training myself. Uh, CO Space being the largest uh, small business lobby in Washington, the largest uh, entrepreneur institution in the world, and ranked by Forbes year after year, number one as the meeting a business owner cannot afford to miss in the world today. And so to get that highest ranking of all opportunities out there isn't easy, and uh, that's a legacy in itself. And uh, I've trained in my life John Ashernoff of The Secret down to Ron Zeller, who just graduated as the lead trainer for Landmark, mm -hmm. Tony Robbins, Jack Canfield, Mark Hansen, uh, Harv, uh, Adam Markell, uh, uh, the thought leaders of today uh, that are alive today. I don't think there's one that I can think of going across the field that I haven't sat with and given counsel to and loved and supported uh, the legends that you love like Brian Tracy and uh, others are in my life where I uh, you know give them counsel whenever I cross their path and try and build their businesses up frankly and um, you know so I have uh, kind of inherited uh, the thought leadership mantle and as you know my work is in legacy about cooperation <clears throat> as an organizational theory versus competition mm -hmm. as an organizational theory because competition is a failed model and those companies that use it are truly abusing their stakeholders and shareholders for their future. Absolutely. And uh, um, let's capture your dad's name, Alan Dorman. Alan Gerard Dorman, Alan G. Dorman is how he was known in the business. And you can still Google search and get him. I run across people who were trained by him 
and they are just uh, in tears over the gratitude of his contribution to their their businesses or lives. You mentioned Clement Stone. Um, in that chain of uh, people he influenced, uh, was Napoleon Hill one of those? Well, Napoleon Hill worked for my dad's company till he died. And so he was coached by dad from the 1950s. My first uh, memory of him was four years old on his lap. And uh, we, in our house, because he'd stayed quite a while with us, uh, I would call him Uncle Nappy with my eight brothers and sisters. And so uh, to us, he was Uncle Nappy. And uh, he guided us, of course, as he does. He was great with children. He was a very dignified kind of removed man. And uh, uh, as all great men that are out in the world and have a public persona, if you're living with them, you see the part that you, I, I think my dad was seen as a, a giant in human potential and what he could offload mentally to conversations when people came to see him. But when, you know, people that knew dad well, his humor was his glue that people just remember how funny he was and Napoleon Hill was particularly funny I mean uh, but a very dry sarcastic kind of wit intellectual wit when you're older when I got to be older I really appreciated his humor a lot more but um, dad and he would always be laughing having such fun but doing very serious work in human potential well near you across the state is uh, Disney World and Disney certainly changed the whole makeup of that part of the country. And his legacy is profound. Um, near me is the Napoleon Hill Center, the museum center down in West Virginia, very close to me. And Napoleon Hill certainly influenced, we mentioned Tony Robbins and a bunch of those, Jim, Jim Rohn is another one. He influenced a whole bunch of thought leaders uh, from his work, Think and Grow Rich, but his his principles, his his concepts, the law of attraction, all those those laws of success, which are so profound. So you grew up experiencing these people in person. Um, what about them impacted your life and your dad? How did he impact your life that that gave you the the vision, the passion, the momentum, the wisdom to build a legacy for yourself? Well, you've got to remember, when you're young and you're raised by these uh, uh, access to these thought leaders, I mean, Martin Luther King, I wasn't, uh, you know, your children, and you're in his life as a child with eight other children, and so you're treated as a child. When I was 15 and Dad took me down to the march in Alabama, mm -hmm. then I became a man. I'd say my rite of passage was being smashed in the face, yelled and screamed at, put in juvenile delinquency, wow. and all the things they did back in that time frame. And I didn't understand the civil rights movement, having only played with black lids in San Francisco. We didn't even have prejudice there. And I didn't understand it. When I got to the South, I understood it as a young man. Dad wanted me to understand it. But, you know, those are the lessons that grow you, uh, the experiences. And then I knew who this Uncle Martin was. I knew who this man that had come over to the house was. I knew who he was then. I didn't get it. I mean, even when we started the march, I thought it was going to be a great day and we'd be in the news. Uh, but uh, So, you know, from a standpoint of uh, these lessons, I mean, as I got older, I had more guidance from these thought leaders. 
and they certainly shaped me as a boy, but my dad was extraordinary. Uh, my dad was of an era when a family room really was. There wasn't a television, and we had conversation, and we had formal dinners as a family, and he had events. He had camping trips and annual events. Fourth of July, we went on this hike every year the whole time of his life. We never missed that hike together. And we brought our kids, his grandkids. Uh, even when he was ill at the end, the last thing he wanted to do was make one last hike. And so his traditions, to be with his family, be head of this family, and guide his family, and give us principles, values, ways. He always had time for all of us. He spent lots of time in our development. Uh, developing us was its ultimate... Uh, I mean, in looking back, I would say, uh, seriously, we were his test tube. And he wanted to show that if he could take uh, brains that didn't have bad software and put extraordinary software in those brains, that all nine of his children would demonstrate extraordinary lives of contribution. And... Uh, I really think his legacy, if I've done in 140 countries the work I've done as an investment banker economist and then CEO space and influence so many millions, uh, all eight of my brothers and sisters have contributions of worthy note. And so he has created not one average child, but extraordinary children, all of them. And we all love each other. We have no sibling rivalries. We all miss our parents. We have a unique, we have such an extraordinary family that we get confused when we see others don't. Now that's a legacy. That's your dad's legacy. That's, that's he, was, he was the greatest dad that I could ever hope to even write about. You know, my book, uh, Perfection Can Be Had. Perfection Can Be Had is really a book for relationship, parenting, men and women, lifestyles at home. And uh, it's his stories to his children that he really told us. And they were extraordinary. You've heard many of them. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're quite uh, lingering and impactful once you've read them or had them told to you. One of your profound gifts out of many is storytelling. And you tell my father's stories, and they are they are the learning lessons that the object lessons, the experiential learning that he gave you growing up. But of those people, also thinking about all those people, Disney, Martin Luther King, those people that you mention, um, like you and your dad. When I hear you interview somebody, you have this vision that comes out from nowhere that you have this gift of having this future vision, and you have this amazing ability to forecast things that people don't even know that they have the ability to do. And I was one of those. I came in 10 years well, ago. And, and yeah, you really, When you talk about vision planning, I think that's my 22 years on Wall Street. Ah. So you have to remember, I'm an investment banker economist by education and background, and that I was chairman of an internationally, global, publicly traded, public, large, markets made by Shearson, major investment banking house uh, that operated all over the world. 
and I was a student. I wasn't big by the, uh, uh, the, the scale comparisons of Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan. I didn't have the capital. Those uh, fellas had billions in the bank. And uh, we had a lot of money, but it wasn't that big. And uh, so I was their student. And as you watch uh, companies come in to New York and they would frame what the potential of their future is time and time again in a wagon wheel of all the different industries over 22 years, you see from where any business is what it takes financially to stage it and step it and move it into the next uh, phases of its, of its life. And... Uh, so I like to frame up those blueprints because to get that kind of information takes 250000 or so if you pay Wall Street underwriters to give it to you. And they really frame it up. Or Price Waterhouse to do a feasibility study for you. Mm-hmm. And they'll do a great job. When you get a retired chairman of an institution in Wall Street who can help guide you, those are the rarest coaches and you know, I say mentors make millions. That's getting mentorship at such a high level because a coach gives you their expertise and performs work for you, and it's a fair exchange of fees. And you got that work done, and hopefully at the quality you wanted and the time frame you wanted. A mentor transfers the skill to you. You are not dependent on them. And you are able to do what you need to do yourself because they've enriched you. They have filled up um, the coach, you know, to some degree is filling up your your glass, which is 85 percent full. And you want to go to overflow with with a beautiful new talent. A mentor gives you a much bigger base. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you get a bigger container and. They give you a bigger vessel, and your skills are exponentially magnified. And I, I always say, find the best mentor. So when you get you know, one of the great mentors living in the world, and that's true for me too, for anyone, it is the greatest gift that can ever cross your path. If you are one, which I hope I am, and you're giving back without charging anyone, it's... Uh, my gift back to that is my legacy is that I have the ability to just give back today. And uh, I call it learn in cooperative capitalism. We call it learn, earn, and then you have an obligation to return. And it's not just money. I tell the tribe that has all the money, uh, get back into trust and foundation and generational wealth that is giving back to entrepreneurialism. Mm-hmm. and investing in entrepreneurialism and have your children mandate that they have to be paid based on the successful returns they're making on the money. Long-term in entrepreneur investments, they supervise, they run, they go on the boards for. Then you won't spoil your children. You will make your children. You will build them. They will That legacy plan. But give while you're alive 15% of your lifetime, and I see these wealthy players in their beautiful lifestyles, and I say, where have you created another you? And if you haven't created a duplication of yourself, 
by mentoring someone coming up behind you to your level, then you owe the world your mentorship. So give 15% of your lifetime until you create at least a handful of yourself in clones where your mentorship gave them the empowerment to give back to the world at your level. Bingo. You've hit on a major theme. Our magazine issue, we're going to transcribe out of this interview. It's about legacies. Then we're talking about the next one about transitions and then sustainability. And and part of our, all of our audience that are listening and writing, and I mean, reading this, are social entrepreneurs. They are impacting the world with their vision. They might lead a business, they might lead a charity, and they might be clergy. But this series of interviews is putting business principles into those organizations, no matter if they're an entrepreneur running a business or they're running a charity. We still need good, solid business principles. And you've hit on a key point of establishing a succession plan because we don't know how long we're on this earth and creating the vision that's going to be sustainable. And I commend you. There's a lot of people, if you ask 10 people about CEO space, you'd get 10 different descriptions, maybe 11. And But it's to, really, it's a, it's a movement. It's an energy field. It's a business growth conference. For me, it's a place where people gather that are worthy. I meet some amazing people there. And Bernie, you have put a, a legacy in a place already. It is a place where people who matter gather, who want to continue this cooperative capitalism, who believe in it and who know that it, it works. Recently, you had a family tra- tragedy, and you did the opening, and you in September had to leave on the first day of this event. And... It ran really well because you had put the systems in place. And one of my definitions of a good leader is the organization runs just as well if they're there or not there because you've built a system. On Friday, uh, the most important part of our conference coming up in which we graduate our members and we have our final weekend events, which are complicated. Uh, I just want you to know that I'll be uh, on a cruise ship with my children going to Alaska and I'm leaving Friday because I know you, uh, Dr. Gruder on our board are going to be able to replace me and run it just as smoothly as you always do. So get ready. You're doing graduation. (laughs) Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, it's an honor and um, you've been a profound inspiration. You'll have a lot of fun with that. And I've said that to you many times and you are, you're so giving it's hard for you to accept the thanks, but I want to tell you, thank you. You've meant a lot to me and shaped my life and my career. And the visionary part of this is is very profound. And there's not a person in this culture, on your board, on your faculty, that wouldn't give anything to support this because we, we love you and believe in it. And you're a giving person, and that set the standard. And what's so profound, and charities and churches ought to be like this. You go in there, and first thing I was told is don't ask for anything. And I said, what? And people, you say, what do you need? What are you working on? What do you need? And how can I help you? And it reverses the whole culture. Well, Everybody's coming. When you say, where is a church apostate? Yeah. And I tell people uh, of all faiths because I study them. So I have spent most of my life in Jewish synagogues. Baruch Atat Anoid, Aloeno Melikolam, Bitsavano. I have spent, uh, I have two beautiful children that I've raised 
One is converted uh, to Christianity. The other is uh, very devout in his Jewish faith. And I really studied to understand the legacy of the, uh, and I've studied the Quran, and I don't see anything but beauty in it. I, I think that all religions, um, the first uh, rule is we have to celebrate diversity of how we worship God and never punish it. Oh. And those that would say oh. that if you don't do it our way, we're the master faith. Uh, there is no master faith, and God is going to punish you for that idea. So I want you to celebrate, because faith is, uh, and how we get to God is of the heart, and running a direct relationship with them and living our lives by those ten things that were put on stone. It's the hardest thing to do, and it does not have the eleventh commandment. Thou shalt screw unto others before thou art screwed unto. <laughs> and I want you to know how you're apostate in all churches of all faiths. You're apostate when you have any form of competition in the organization itself. Competition is Satan. Satan's real name is first competition. Oh. It is the first competition with God. It is the first idea of competition. And if you look at your idea of hell in all face, it's a, a gnashing of teeth. It's a place where uh, there is no integrity. It's a place where everybody is uh, uh, hurting each other to relieve their own pain. And in heaven, uh, everyone is unconditionally loving, unconditionally supporting each other and helping each other. Cooperation is the holy of all spirits. The Holy Ghost is cooperation. So if you have a church filled with the Holy Spirit, you have everyone saying, what are you doing? How can I help you? If you have a church where everybody is gossiping, then you have infected the church with apostasism. You are not of God. You are a church that has missed because the leader has not been able to command it. And when you have a church where the pastor can't get to the hospital, for the wounded and the damaged of soul and body and can't save that child from abuse and the divorce that's going on because he's with the elders of the church fighting over who's going to mow the lawn on Saturday. Now, when we have that happen, the church has to retool and get competition as a feeling and thought form out of the church. There's one virus on human consciousness. There isn't three or four. And it creates all toxic symptoms. So all your, your relationship issues, all your parenting issues, all your organization and uh, company, all your wasted time, all your uh, human potential that's getting squandered in your company has to do with competitive organization or cooperative organization. Once you move to cooperative organization theory, in my book, Redemption, the Cooperation Revolution, tells you how to do it if you want to do it in your home space, your workspace, or your faith space. So you can do it in any context, on any basis that you want to do it. And I just tell you, the more you get competition out, the more that you have kind of heaven on earth in wherever that space is that becomes cooperative. So work on that because the first thing, you can never get rid of a virus if you don't know you have it. 
And in faith, we have to start. I have whole sections of my book for faith leaders saying we have to be where it starts. It has to start in our churches and get the example of what we stand for so the world can see it because it is not, uh, you know, and stop labeling ISIS as a religion. ISIS and, and Hitler are not political or religious. They're just insane. Absolutely. Just Absolutely. start. I wish the media would just call them insane. These are brains that are damaged. They're insane. They have no sanity. And following mad people and joining mad people, that's once people know they're just crazy, they're not going to join them. They're crazy. They aren't normal brains. They don't have anything to say that we should listen to. People want to say, well, why? Why? They're nuts. That's why. They're nuts. And if, if, if crazy people get a bunch of weapons, you've got to push the delete button. The sane have to protect the sane. And we have to protect each other. We, we have to love them while we're killing them. But we have to you know, get rid of them because they're insane. You can't, there's nothing you can do. Go over there and lock them all up and take the rest out. And that's what you have to do in the world much more quickly. Don't let insane ever rule anything. And, you know, what about North Korea? It's insane. Oh, gosh. I think you're a god uh, running a nation over your people. It's insane to spend more on atomic weapons than you spend on groceries for a three-year-old baby. It's insane. We have um, this infection not only hits the church, but the synagogues, community organizations. Let's go back to vision a minute. Oh, your book is Redemption. Uh, it can be found on Amazon by... Uh, Bernie Norman, Redemption is the book. Um, vision. <clears throat> um, I remember sitting a few feet from Martin Luther King in Atlanta, and he did different versions of this. But it was he has a dream. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh, the painter. I dream. If you if you, if you heard, uh, you know, my uncle Martin more than one time, yeah. you'll remember how early he was in the '60s to talk about cooperation. Absolutely. And he's the one that kept saying. Uh, the famous saying that uh, he and my father would talk about, uh, and I can remember my father leaning over the table again. I, it's one of my big memories uh, in 1959, and saying he was very young then, and saying uh, both of them actually, and saying, "Martin, this really stuck with this young boy. You can never remove darkness with more darkness." You have to bring in light and illumination to remove the darkness. Wow. And that became a huge theme that Martin used in cooperation is you don't attack back. You don't go shoot cops because some bad cops shot us. And so, you know, if you say, how do we fix that problem? Black Lives Matter needs to focus on the problem, which is a system like the L.A. police force or the New York police force is 30,000 people and a percent of those, and it could be 5%, 95% of the best people in the world, but 5% have different ranges of shouldn't be in the force. The system protects them. The system should exit them much sooner, but way before they act out the whole system. No one should protect them. No one should protect their partner. If they fall in that 5%, but there aren't standards. It's your, if they put your transformational leadership in, 
what's not acceptable would be exited Absolutely. much more quickly. And that's what people are looking for. And if they do act out wrongly, no one protects them. They are absolutely held accountable uh, to their actions. And that's what we really want to do. And so we don't focus on shooting all the good policemen because 5% of a huge organization are, not, are in problem. Catholic Church, it isn't that some priest acted out and we think all priests should be perfect. It's that they protected them, covered it up. It's always the cover-up is worse than the act. And so to the extent, and where does that come back to cooperation? I won't cooperate with you, Hugh, and you won't cooperate with me unless we hold uh, the highest forms of personal integrity. Absolutely. So in heaven, you have to have integrity. There's no absence of integrity. We have to bring heaven to earth. We're bringing hell to earth by not expecting integrity because we're incompetent. We're told competition is good and competition is from God. If I have a legacy, it is to tell you that competitive capitalism is a corrupt, failed, and horrifically uh, horrible system. And communism and socialism are worse if it's even possible. And what we need is cooperative capitalism where we have full reporting, full accountability, uh, full auditing, and rules and checks and balances. And there are no secrets in the financial system, and it's fair globally for everyone. One set of global rules for trade and import and how we operate. I've asked for the G100 to have an economic constitution in a digital world, and now to come together over three years and then all nations adopt it. And we have a fair platform to regulate speculation, have a cooperative economic system. It's cooperative capitalism, free ownership. And we'll have, we'll get rid of our ups and downs. We'll get rid of world war because we put cooperation of the Holy Spirit in our economic system instead of the wrong force, the, the wrong side of the force in our economic system, dog-eat-dog capitalism. It's terrible. It's awful. And you shouldn't have consolidation where 1% own more than 99. Any system that does that builds elitism. It's bad for humans. And humans should make a lot of money when they bring great things to society. But they should truncate. And after that, it should go back into society for roads and highways and dams and things that make all society better from the economic machinery that is being created. To have unlimited wealth consolidate in individual hands is not an economic system that has a future. And so we'll get it right because it just isn't... Competition is always a form of insanity. So any competitive brain that thinks it's good, to the extent they're uh, so virus-infected you can't virus-remove the virus, they're insane. Competition is insane. It is. I've heard you say that um, competitive capitalism was greed and socialism, communism was about power. And so what you're, you're a profit for, really, is a new way of doing this, this cooperative capitalism, which is a collaborative sense. And you early on <clears throat> mentioned transformational leadership. And what you're champion for is the vision, which is what a transformational leader is. It's about the vision. It isn't about you. It's about the vision. And you equip people in, in the culture. 
And that is a summary of what transformational leadership is. It's about the vision. It's about getting the best out of people. And it's about setting high standards. And Bernie, ultimately, the culture is a result of us. The culture is a reflection of us. Look at CEO space. It is a reflection of giving of your personality, your gift, your vision. You've created an energy field that is. It exists. Well, I've created an economic example of mm-hmm. cooperative capitalism. And mm-hmm. so you've seen miracles where a second grade school teacher ends up with a $500 million merger acquisition with airborne, the allergy cold medication. And you've seen companies like Tow Truck in a Box, where a guitar player is in 40,000 retail stores, mm-hmm. or a music teacher, uh, Chris Salter, has Piano Wizard and Guitar Wizard in all the Walmarts in the United States, and you've seen miracles happen, and what and fast, because we're all cooperating. And so, you know, I look at CEO Space as Karl Marx, when he was alive, just hated that capitalism created wage slaves, where everybody was just over broke, and never had full partnership in any system, and there wasn't an ability to fairly distribute wealth, and too many were starving to death, too many poor. And all these years later, we still have that worse in his communism because he, comp- he created competitive bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And that's even worse than competitive capitalism. So the, the problem became, how do we have a movement affects the few? A revolution affects everyone. And so how do we have a revolution, which we started over 30 years ago with CEO Space, where the economists, the university professors, the leaders that are really going to shape the future could come in with enough uh, weight over 30 years of continuing to put new software on this brain where they could see it. It wasn't a book like Redemption, the Cooperation Revolution. It was put in place where they felt it. They did it. They brought it back and used it. And so we showed the world cooperative capitalism. And now we're getting weight in 140 countries to change the world. And I'm being brought in increasingly to change national agendas, national thought perspective, economic development for nations. So I'm, I have a team I put together and I'm being highly sought after by presidents and heads of state to accelerate greatly their economic development upward. And so economic development of nations is the next part of CO Space's life. Great, great. As we draw this to a conclusion, um, this, there's several themes here. And I, when I work with people, I help them focus in on their ability to implement because ideas are just ideas. And if we don't do it, it isn't going to happen. And I've, I have this summary. You may or may not agree with it, but leaders are three things to me. They get things done. They figure out how things get done, and leaders are fundamentally a person of influence. And I would say all of those apply to you. You certainly have influenced a massive amount of people in the ways that you've talked about and lots of ways that you haven't. Um, So as we, we leave this, we have these people that are listening to this and reading the article that have a great vision. So what would you say to them as leaders that, um, What's your piece of advice to them as a leader to go from vision to execution? Well, uh, one, it all sums up in one, I've got two points. It all sums up in one sentence. 
weak plans, weak teams, and resources to execute. So you develop strong plans, strong teams, and resources to execute, and that it usually takes two to three mentors, two in your through, three in your free. Uh, these mentors that help you get the strong plans, strong teams, and resources to execute. Then um, next to that, my father used to uh, tell us all great little stories, but one of them when he had us around the fireplace at Lake Tahoe in a snowy day, the snow coming down, he said, children, do you know the difference between a super achiever and a dreamer? And we had different ideas. And he said, no, well, let me tell you the lesson. The dreamer, children, uh, is accepted God's capital, which is inspiration. God's bank account is never uh, has a withdrawal that doesn't have a deposit. And he has unlimited inspirational deposits for you. And you get these inspirations in your life, and you don't act on them. You don't act, and you don't make them real on the earth. And God wanted you to. And they come to you all of your life at every age and never stop. And the dreamer goes to their grave with all their dreams and all of God's inspiration, which they squandered all of their life. And their real regret when they are at the end of life is they didn't do their dreams, which was what God gave them, to do in the first place. And the super achiever who did their dreams and has no regret at the end at all, has no regret. The super achiever is a person who has found out how to finance their dreams. The distance is just this small, but they gain the mentorship and the skill sets of how, because when you have God's capital, you still have to print it. You still have to put it on a website. You still have to do things with people through a computer and through a cell phone and through things that cost money. You have to take airplane trips and you have to get in hotel rooms. You have to finance your dream all the way through. And that's part of the resources to execute. And so the super achiever has learned about capitalism and learned how to get the ability to put resources so they can execute developing any division of a mature company. They know how to do it. And those that are just starting out, when they learn it, they become unstoppable, unstoppable. And that's true in the not-for-profit space, every space. So I wish you all to move from dreamer to super achiever because my father would insist on it. Bernie Dorman, chairman, founder of CEO Space. You are a profound person of influence and a legacy builder. I am grateful for this time. Thank you for sharing with our audience. Forbes number one in the world. Thank you, you. Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at WordSprint. Go to wordsprint.com and get a free consultation about how WordSprint can deliver your message, the right message to the right person in the right rhythm to maintain your client engagement, to maintain your donor base. It's important to build and maintain relationships with your tribe. WordSprint.com. Go look at their site, log on, and request a free consultation, and tell them you heard that on this podcast. This is Hugh Ballou recommending WordSprint. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. 
be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.